0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is country roads, confidential at earsports.com. We are part of the CBS sports radio network. I am Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson to a post game party. I see a, uh, not as many red lights leaving. Chris going down Willowdale away from the stadium. There's there's not a ton of people in the stands, so there's not a ton of people in the parking lot, but there are people who are out there in dry weather right now, enjoying a 31 victory over our ranked Iowa State team. Uh, I point out the scenery because the last time West Virginia was at home, the outlook was much different. Uh, Let me bookend it with an anecdote. They played Texas Tech. I walked back from the post game through the parking lot where player parents and families tailgate and had two very quick conversations with people just about, oh boy, Um, ran into one of those people this time, and the comment was, what a difference a month makes, and um, boy, that isn't true. This this is not the same offense. It doesn't look like the same offense, but this isn't the same team. It doesn't look like the same team. They're four and four right now. They're two and three in the Big 12, and they feel like they can beat anybody because they just beat a team that's had their number for two years, and as it turns out, they put all their eggs in the basket of being like this team to beat this team, and they did today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more more points scored today, 38, than they had scored in the previous three games against Iowa State combined, which was 34. Um, defense, meh. You know, they they had their moments. They had their not-so-big moments. But I thought they really tightened up and made some big plays towards the end. You could obviously tell that a, a few of the players were just exhausted by the time they got to the end of that game. But they kind of fought through it, still made some plays. Offense. Um, outstanding really you know just a couple big just a couple miscues but but you're gonna have that. that that has to happen that always happens um it doesn't have to happen but it does happen um but I think you know here, here's someone I, a quick quick little downer quick little downer for everybody I know everybody's riding high right now um but th- this game still had a, a whiff of those issues that we've talked about, like even after that win over Virginia tech, where I said, it doesn't even feel good because it still has those issues of the offense having their troubles, the O-line having their troubles. Uh, One, first off, O-line was great. So that's not still a problem, but there still seemed to be some miscommunication on offense. Saw a couple wasted, three wasted timeouts, like three, uh, maybe wasted is a strong word, but three offensive timeouts in, in very bad times. Um, some miscues on defense where they let up some big plays, which has been a recurring theme this year, but they fought back. They didn't just let that sink them. I thought that was a big change. And then the biggest change for me, and maybe we'll spend a whole segment here on this once I get done talking so much. Jared Dagey was amazing. Mm -hmm. Best game, best game he's played at West Virginia. I think best pocket awareness he's had since that Kansas state game when he made his debut, that was what, excited me most about him after that game i know you and i talked about it at length on that podcast after that win over kansas state in 2019 of his pocket awareness how he rolled out how he got out how he made plays and then it just kind of never happened again until today and he just really looked great as expected right (laughs) absolutely every every quarterback hey we talk about get right games and you get right against iowa state's defense when you're a quarterback right and that how it works
0: there's there's going to be a lot of the, the use of the word vindication about this, and, and I think it can apply to a lot of situations. Um, Neil Brown said during the week, opaque as ever, that his team couldn't even remember what happened last year and that the game didn't matter. Um, his players had already, would would soon after contradict him and say that they they knew the score and it had been posted around the stadium. Point being that after the game today, Brown says that pretty much from when they got back from the bowl game last year too, before they started ball camp, 42-6 was up everywhere, and if it wasn't posted somewhere, it was mentioned that they built their off-season program about being bigger and stronger up front, because that's where they got beat pretty badly last year. And sure, West Virginia was shorthanded down starters and, and contributors at the end of a long season that, you know, was was probably overdue for a finish, and, and certainly got ended on weird terms uh, that season, because they didn't even get to play the week after, so... That whole Iowa State team is basically back, and a lot of West Virginia's team is back. And I think that by their explanation about what you saw today, they were pretty pissed off about that after the game last year when they got revved up about it this year. And then, you know, whether or not Iowa State ran up the score or whether or not they just physically beat them and embarrassed them, it doesn't matter because they took it personally into the offseason, into today's game. And from the start, whether it's, you know, scuffles after the play, trying to run through people instead of running out of bounds, trying to rip the ball out whenever you had a chance, hitting people, blocking hard, pushing at the whistle after the whistle. West Virginia had a purpose um, with pretty much everything, and, and it's hard not to believe, or hard to believe at this point, that it didn't have a lot or little to do with that. It seemed like they played with that in their pocket the entire game, um, which is promising, but where does this offense come from? And this is two games in a row where, It's been different and effective, and I don't don't want to get into who's calling the plays. We can go over that at the very end if you want, because we haven't talked about that since. But it's good. And when the quarterback's playing like this and you can't sell out to stop the run because the quarterback can hurt you, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what this team really should have looked like from the very beginning. I don't care about who's calling plays or what's being called, but I think when you saw the, the pieces on offense, you thought that this offense had a chance to look like this from the very beginning. It took half a season, but better late than never.
1: Really, it was just what, that development of the deep ball. I think it kind of opened everything up. I did believe that, you know, Dakey was hitting some out patterns that I'm not accustomed to him hitting. You know, that's usually, that's kind of been his weak spot other than maybe the deep ball. You know, he's he's usually better on short and intermediate and in, in the middle of the field. Um, he did a nice job of, of hitting those outs. those short and intermediate out routes, which are not short and intermediate. <laughs> They're usually, you know, obviously you're going towards the sideline it's a lot deeper than you think. You know, maybe it's only 5-7 yards downfield, but it's actually 20 to 30 yards that you're throwing the ball in the air and his deep passes I felt were on point. Uh, you know, that that's we've gone over the stats, we've gone over the 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 advanced statistics from PFF and all his deep ball throws and how much he struggles there and we're trying to find out why and it it a lot of it didn't make sense because he was Good at that at Bowling Green. He was a a very good deep ball thrower at Bowling Green, and just hasn't had it at West Virginia. Today he had it. Uh, I I thought all this ball, his deep balls were were on point. They, you know, one or two maybe kind of strayed out of bounds. But we've seen him this season. Whenever somebody's running up the sideline, that ball is is out of place. They're waiting on it, or it's it's going out of bounds while the the receiver's still in play. Not today. Uh, he 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 was not afraid to throw it in there. And I thought that was a big difference and, and really, again, that's this is not the type of defense you're usually able to do that against. And Jared Dage did,
0: yeah, Let's just stick with the offense. We can get to the defense and we can talk about Iowa State's trouble they had offensively and defensively. Um, Four hundred and ninety two yards against Iowa State. That has not happened this year. Uh, T.C. was three yards better second week of last season. 38 points had not happened since 2019. That was Oklahoma, so that's a little bit different. And then just 30 of 47, Daggy was not sacked on 47 dropbacks. I think he was hit just a few times, and one was on an interception. He did throw two picks. One's his fault, one's not. The one that his fault goes the other way for a touchdown that made that game scarier than it should have been, but um, 10 for 15 on third down, if I have that right, what's that number? Uh, nine for 15 on third down, one for one on fourth down, so really like 10 for 15 on third down. And then just the number of first downs, 27 to 16. They ran 76 plays, which is 15 more. They ran for 122 yards, which is not a dominant game, but when you're running 15 more plays, when you're getting 10 first downs on stay or go plays, you know, stay on the field or go to the sideline, and 47 passes, 29 runs, you're kind of you're not even like even it's it's a weird formula to beat a defense like this but it was really good and i was i was thinking about this as the game was going coming up um i traveled yesterday back from a funeral in north carolina i got stranded on 77 for two hours and literally took out my laptop connected to the wi-fi we waited and started looking into the game and trying to figure out you know where do you attack iowa state i hadn't done any of my my weekly routine stuff i sat out the podcast and the press set and all that stuff so I'm trying to get to familiar with the game and i'm just wondering how do you do it how do you do it and some of this makes sense chris i don't think it was necessarily where they attacked or how they attacked west virginia attacked like, whatever was there they went and they got it and then brown had a really good explanation here too they knew when they did something that iowa state's defensive coordinator would have a counter and they set things up to anticipate the counter and then when they saw the counter they went to their plan b and they were always doing something on the front foot they were always aggressive whether it was know they were going outside of the perimeter they were running screens inside and all of a sudden they would go deep Uh, even when they had like a screen pass to Letty Brown it looked really good they were on the attack they were going for something there they were aggressive in the end zone or in the red zone they took their deep shots they did not get pigeonholed. they did not get backed up by a defense that that drops eight that confuses you. you you look in the Iowa State's defense sometimes and you freeze and you think about the bowl game and what Daigie did similar idea and what happened he paused he got hit he got rallied didn't look good he never got caught with the ball today, except that interception and again I just think that they were always trying to move forward be aggressive attack 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 it wasn't what they did it wasn't what ideas they had they just said you're not gonna back us up you're not gonna make us play uh, counter football we're going to come at you make you change. And then when you change, we're going to have something else for you. They were always pushing Iowa State back. I thought that was a huge difference throughout the game, especially when West Virginia got hit and they had to have a counter or they had to have an answer. They were just accustomed to always bouncing back and doing something that I think that that response was easier to pull out from them. That's extremely positive.
1: The response. I'm glad you went there because that's what I want to talk about right now and the response. And and one, from the offensive as a whole, uh, and two, from Daigie because that's something else that we've talked about with him where – He gets sacked or he throws a pick and then it's just it's just off the rails for him. Like the next, you know, he'll he'll get hit, he'll fumble the ball and then complete one of his next five passes or throw a pick or something like that. That's kind of been where things have gone bad with him tonight after that pick six, his response. Completion for three yards, completion for 35 yards, completion for 23 yard TD, completion for 13 yards, completion for nine yards, completion for 11 yards, completion for nine yards, incompletion, completion for 22 yards in a TD. Seven of seven in a row and eight of nine, including two touchdowns on his next nine passes after that second pick, that pick six. That is a freaking response. From somebody right there. And and that was that was not something we have seen from Daigy yet during his entire WV career. And he responded in a big way with that. Three touchdown drives after
0: the interception, too. Like, so you have that moment where, okay, you made your mistake. And then, you know, I mentioned vindication as a word that you might want to use. Neil Brown stuck with Dagee because he saw this or something like this. Um, that was a situation there where you know, think about it, he even did lean a little bit. They sprinkled some Garrett Green on that next drive. They made it difficult. He comes in on the on the third down. It was a perfect ball to Winston Wright for a first down. He hits a touchdown after it, but touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. If you're looking for a, a quarterback who's been in the crucible to do something he had to do it right there, he he did. Um, and, and you sort of see people rallying around him. Now, it's um, it's easier to make plays when the ball is in the air, but I think it's easier to make plays when you, when you really believe that the quarterback is capable and can do something and they're being liberated with play calls and ideas too um, that's not tcu's defense chris that's a really good defense out there they ran effectively and you know you're going to have to pass a lot against this team west virginia's not going to run with great success against iowa state 47 passes 30 completions no sacks positive plays positive plays but if, if you had asked me or if i'd asked you or if you'd asked somebody listening just three weeks ago hey they're going to play iowa state and they're going to throw it 47 times. What's the final score going to be? I'm not sure you'd say West Virginia plus
1: seven, right? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Defensively. Hmm? B- Brees Hall is good. We're getting that much credit, right? Something. Brees, Brees Hall is good. And Brock Purdy's ridiculous. Like, I thought, like, yeah, maybe you want to talk to a couple of the West Virginia guys about, you know, breaking down and keeping your feet underneath you instead of going wild. But sometimes it's it's the same thing. I mean, it's – I don't want to bring up my T-ball team again, but it's the same thing I tell those kids. Sometimes you make a good play, and sometimes the other guy makes a better play. Sometimes West Virginia made a good play, and Brock Purdy made a better play. And I think sometimes West Virginia made a good play, and Brees Hall made a better play too.
0: That first touchdown run.
1: Well,
0: (laughs) that was worrisome because unless he made a comment during the week that I had not thought about or heard of before, and it makes a lot of sense. You like an Iowa State's running game to like triple option football where you have the offset wingbacks and the motion. And if you watch them do all their their pre-snap stuff and they shift and they move one tight end from one side or the other, they line them up in a different spot. You really have to watch where the tight end is going because that could be the lead. But that could also be just – bait for you to go one way and they come the other way they counter it they do something different and i, I hadn't really looked at it or thought about like that and it makes a lot of sense that's why he's there and i'm not but part of it isn't true because they do get you unbalanced before and during the play and those guys can they can really move people after that snap that one they had you so gooped up on the, on the way they aligned everything but it was basically like four on thir- three on that left side that's an easy block but all those other runs i thought he had to work for it. um Negative plays, even that 53 yard run, 52 53 yard run, he did a lot of work on that play. Like West Virginia did get carried and moved, but like it wasn't like a bust. That guy just made a really good play. Uh, seventy yard touchdown still counts. I get that. It didn't look good for a
1: while, but they made him work and they had some tricks too. They did a lot of even front stuff, did they not? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think West Virginia mixed it up on him, got in there, and I think, you know, again, I wanna I, I don't mean to try to single out uh, individual players here, but Josh Chandler Samato's play kind of popped to me. Just the way he was always around the ball, I felt like he was really getting after it, not just in the run game but in pass rushing. And he really got in there and made a lot of tackles, really uh, stuffed and filled those gaps, um, especially when they went into that even from that you're talking about. Um, so he, I think he led the team in tackles at one. I mean, I know he was for most of the game, but uh, yeah, there he is, 12 tackles, twice as many. As number two on the team, including nine solo tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss, just a, a, another great game from him. Even front was really
0: interesting. They they did some of that last year where they played. They even played five man fronts in that game for a member because they're worried about getting gapped. That four man front, and they mixed in a lot of Edward Bestarin too, who continues to give them good snaps. Um, but Jefferson, Bestarin, and Mesidor had a pretty good thing going. Some combination of those guys in the middle, but. Man, when they put those people over the tackles, it's hard to get those those like sideways or those slanting gaps. And it's hard to give Hall a whole bunch of options where he can cut and gash you. He's gotta go straight ahead. And West Virginia was so strong and so physical aggressive at that point of attack. They were just pushing the tackles backwards. It really kind of almost like collapsing the pocket on a quarterback, so to speak. They made mm-hmm. they made Hall act fast. And what was the one word, Chris? That they used to describe Hall as a compliment, whether it was Leslie or any of the defensive players were in the week. It was an adjective that they used to describe Hall. What was it?
1: I don't know. You tell me. Patient,
0: <laughs> right? They made him be patient. Well, if the ceiling's crumbling and the walls are closing in, you can't be patient. You can't look for your hole. You gotta go. He's still good at that, but if his home run hitting comes from waiting and and setting up blocks and going, and you're not giving him that because you're moving the walls in fast. Uh, that was effective. And they did a lot of that on first down. And they're they're a pretty good running team. And if they get you on second and two, second and three, they're a very good offense. And West Virginia was able to negate a lot of the action on first down and get them in the second long situations. And at the end of the game, they're not successful on third down at all. I think, what's the year? Two of 12, two or three on fourth down. But it's basically four out of 12 on third down. When you think about it, those, those stay or go situations, that's not very good. And a lot of that had to do with being in long situations there, too. So you know, kudos to the defense for finding a Finding a way to be creative and, and and be successful with it, too. Flipping around, West Virginia's run game. Again, that's not TCU out there. Um, Letty Brown, 109 yards. Not a lot of Mathis, but he kind of gave him a boost early on. But that was it. It was all Letty. Like, Garrett Green, one run. Um, nothing from Daigie moving the ball. I get not a lot of Mathis. But also, no Michael Lachlan. That was worrisome, I think. They said D.J. Banks played well. I saw him play a lot. That was good. I thought they were clever with their formations. And... There's you know, some, some deception after the snap. We saw a couple plays where, like, Ford Wheatner and Sam James was blocking on the edge, kind of like a tight end almost. So they were they were able to create create ways to be good there, too, on the offensive side. And do more touchdowns for Letty, just effectively and stuff like that. You know, four yards a carry is is good against a defense like that, too. So, again, that's not TCU, but maybe they were able to get some, some competence to – to believe they can actually do this again, too. I mean, they're doing a lot of pistol stuff. They're doing a lot of under-center stuff, which is good. But that offensive line has held up a lot better, they played just five guys the last two weeks, too. It looks like
1: Milo knows what he's doing, and everybody else has kind of picked their game up a little bit. That's what I was going to say was something about the, the five guys. I, we don't have the exact snap counts yet, but I don't recall them rotating anybody in um, on the offensive line. So it, it does seem like it was two straight games of – no rotations on the offensive line. And I, for me, it's just a, a chicken-or-the-egg kind of question. It is Are there no rotations because those guys are playing well or are those guys playing well because they're not being rotated out and they're playing as a unit? Um, I'm kind of leaning towards the latter. I guess maybe that's a good question to be asking the coaches on Tuesday. But uh, speaking of my suggestions for work for other people to do, Maybe some on the screen share or maybe something you can talk about right now because uh, your football mind might be a little sharper than mine right now because I'm trying to figure out what was going on here because I liked it. It was like a, a counter run for West Virginia that sealed off the whole backside and Letty Brown had a lot of room on those types of runs. Was that something different? I, 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 I've i seen it before, obviously, from West Virginia, but I felt like we saw it more today. Uh, so it's a pistol under center play, correct? Yeah, and he, he starts out, I mean, I guess it could go either way, but I felt like it was often starting out, the quarterback turning to his left, fake handoff, and then he turns and hands to the right, and everyone's blocking to the left, and almost a whole wall shielding off everybody to the left, and then Lady Brown's going to the right. It happened very early, because I think it was like the second play of the game. Yeah, second down. It was second down at six, and Charles Finley was the tight end that came across the Um, formation and was supposed to be the lead blocker, and he whiffed bad. And I don't recall seeing Finley (laughs) in the rest of the game, but if he had hit that block, Letty might have scored a touchdown on the second play of the game.
0: Yeah, so
1: I think that they're blocking down more.
0: I think that's something you're seeing more. Now, we we focus a lot on on zone and gap and things like that, but just being able to block down and move people is really important, and that's something you're seeing too. So I think what's happening there is that they're just trying to – give Brown space to do something. He's got good vision, and when he's seeing things well, he can run. But also, yeah, you're right. If you seal everybody inside, you've got a chance. That's easier to do against a three-man front. And then think about Iowa State's defense. What do they do? They play a three-man front with like one linebacker. It looks like a soft box, but they're spilling in defensive backs in that second level or another linebacker from that second level where they go from what looks like a four-man box to a six- or seven-man box. So they're instinctually going, gunning at what they see after the snap you're right. What they were doing was almost like a counter, almost mm-hmm. taking one side go to the other. And they're doing that from the, that under center from the pistol, because you can really, you can almost hide Letty Brown. If he's on Diggie's left side, that ball is probably going to the right. If he's on Diggie's right, that ball's probably going to the left. That's just the way it is. And that's why sometimes I think that you see that pre-snap shift for Letty Brown, where he may be on Daggy's right. And then before the snap, he goes to the left because that changes the picture for the defense. And it makes them line up a little bit differently, or at least hesitate at the snap. Like, I was going to go this way, but the running back moved. Now i got to go, up. the ball is snapped. Here we go. If you put him right behind the quarterback, one, it's harder to find him, and two, you don't have a cue as to what side he's going. So you're right. Dagey's handoff is almost like reverse from what it's supposed to be, and then Brown just runs the other way with it. So it's not – if you're the defensive player, you're seeing the ball handed in a certain way, and if you're watching the game you're a linebacker, it doesn't look right because every time you see that, the ball goes – I'm pointing here, but this way, right? And actually it's going, I'm pointing the other way that way. That's gotta be goofy if you're the defensive player, right? Because again, it's almost like a counter, but you're seeing the line, for example, block right, and you're seeing Daigy hand it off like it's going to go right. But what happens? Letty Brown, Letty Brown gets the ball and he's running at you to the left, and now you're exposed, you're out of position. And and he was really physical. He ran into people and, and made that cut and went downhill. I think they found something there in the past two weeks that's been good, and, and it really worked well against Iowa State's defense, just because of the way they play. They after the snap, they hurry and they're reading something and they're reacting. And if you are almost baiting them into a misstep to create the space and get Letty Brown one-on-one, I think you'll take your chances there with
1: Letty Brown. Yeah, I thought Brown the the Brown running hard thing was is legit. That that's not a you know that's not a talking point. It it, it was legit. He was. Stiff-arming people. I don't know if you're able to see that from the press box. There was one play where he was basically out of bounds, and the guy was still kind of just putting his hands on him. It looked like both were going to let up. And then Letty just stiff-armed him into the ground, just completely into the ground, and the entire West Virginia sideline lost it. Chad Scott was right there, running backs coach Chad Scott was right there, I, I thought he was gonna like pop a blood vessel. He was so excited, so amped up from that one. And and that was just something that Letty Brown was doing kinda of all game. He was he was not avoiding contact. He was ready to take it on and he thought he was gonna run through these guys and uh, you know that's just kind of running back you need. You know who's a lot of fun to watch? Who's that? Jaquay Hubbard. Mm.
0: A lot of energy. Um and then I noticed this too, like on that play, he took his helmet off and was yelling and cheering. <laughs> On the sideline, but like, yeah, he puts that guy on the green stuff and then JaQuay Hubbard takes his helmet off and is yelling and cheering. I don't know if everybody can see him on TV or what. Smart play, by the way. Like, hey, mom, I'm here. Let's all your friends see. You. take your helmet off, right? But also sometimes when he runs into like a pile on the sideline, he puts his helmet on because I don't think he wants to get hurt by all the, the massive <laughs> humanity. That's a veteran play by JaQuay Hubbard. I mean, kudos to him, too. So, so good. That was nice, too. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: Oh, I thought you wanted to speculate about what else you might have seen or not seen on the sideline. But okay, we will we'll talk officiating. We'll we'll close with that because it, it's it's a saga. But I'm not sure anybody's tuning in to listen. To if
0: you want to hear about play calling and who's doing what, we'll save it for the end. Um, that's the worst officiated game I've seen this year. Like in all the on all the football I've watched, and I've watched a lot of Pac-12 games. Um, Neil Brown would tell you though that, that that the Big 12 officiating does the best job of anybody in the business or something of that effect. I don't know. Yeah. I almost passed out when he said that. I, I just, <laughs> But that was really poor today, and and like I'm I'm not homering it here, but like the the pass interference against Bryce Ford Wheaton's a miserable call, and I would say one of the biggest contributors to the way this game was played was the line judge with his spots, and ultimately that Purdy run on third and fourteen, that was really close to him having the first down, and that being a totally different situation at the end of the game. But it seemed like his spots were goofy all game. I don't have the TV line either, so. If you agree with me, it's not or disagree with me. It's not because of the TV line. I don't have that where I'm watching. I just thought knees were down a yard or sometimes more off from where it was. And then just, just a number of other different things I thought were really goofy today. And I, and I, I don't want to say it impacted it, but mm. no situation's bigger than that fumble in the end zone where one player called, one official calls it a touchdown, one singles in a fumble. And then the play is whistled dead where, I mean, I was moving toward the post game. So I saw it on TV, but I didn't get to watch a lot of the replay because this part wasn't in the replay. I watched a 25-minute review, but does Alonso a die score on that? Yeah, he might. Or was his knee down when he got it? I'm not sure, but
1: oh no, I think yeah, I think the first person to touch it uh, was it a die that I think was the first person to grab it in the end zone. I, I thought they were laying on the ground even, so yeah, I think they were down in the end zone with the okay. ball.
0: But anyways, it didn't sound like they were, they were involved in a lot of the moments there. The spotting was very strange. That was a big play. The passing appearance was a big play. Um, just a lot was going on. I, I just felt like they were they were in the middle of an I just don't notice to pay a lot of attention to that.
1: It was there were several plays that everybody knows about that were questionable, like the actual calls themselves. You mentioned the PI, you mentioned that fumble, a couple of the spots, but it for me it kind of went beyond that. I can't, I think I mentioned this before, but every time there's something with officiating, I talk to my father-in-law who's been officiating for 40 years, 30 years. He just retired. He's he's officiated high school and college um, football almost entire almost exclusively, and we talk about a lot of these things. And one of the things he stresses to me is the responsibilities of each of these um, referees out there. And who kind of gets preference for who gets to make the call? And it takes me to that fumble at the end zone because the man who came the side judge that came running in signaling a touchdown, that's his zone. It it should have been his call. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was on his side. He had the clear path. Uh, it's not the umpire's call unless he saw the ball come out clearly before it went over the line. It's certainly not the near side judges, like the West Virginia sidelines side judge. It is not his call because, and, and he was the one that said it was short. Um, it was the guy who signaled touchdown. It was his call, and they seemed confused about who was whose responsibility was where the entire game. They didn't talk a lot. You're supposed to talk these things out. I think there was one time earlier where I, I first kind of noted this. It was a pretty obvious hold on Brandon Yates um replay showed it very obviously so it wasn't a bad call but the umpire and then the head judge the, the white hat the guy in charge the white hat threw his flag and the umpire came in who is the guy right behind right about where the linebackers are came running in and tried to tell him hey i think he just blocked him he's trying to tell him like i don't think that was a hold and the white hat literally was like I don't care. I got this. And you could see him (laughs) say that like on national television, you could see or Well, not national television, wherever the hell it was. We were watching today, but you could see him mouth that out to him. I don't care. I got this and waved him off and just called it. Now he was right. It was absolutely a hold, but that's not how officiating works. That's not how this team works. That's not how a crew works. And they had a lot of issues like that today. And I think that's why like, you know, yeah, there were a handful of calls that were just questionable, but the way they handled themselves, the way they worked together or didn't work together, the coordinator officials for the Big 12 is going to have some thoughts on that one.
0: Including maybe the biggest play of the game was the touchdown pass to Winston Wright. Which was way after the... that should have been delay of game. Yeah, and that was after some just wild clock management and, and game management where they're, they're subbing Green and Daggy in and out. Neil Brown has grabbed the steering wheel. And it's very convoluted. And, and at this point, like, I mean, at no point in that game did what did West Virginia look like they were going to get stopped off. I can't even believe I'm saying this, Chris. It just seemed <laughs> like that their offense was going to go no matter what. They might hit a third and long or a fourth and long, but they're going to find a way to get it because they did all game. With Daggy steering the ship, well, let's sprinkle in some of the quarterback who did not look good in that third series he came in and really just never gave him... Anything positive, it's not being that's not me being negative, I guess mean, it's my observation there. But that would have been a huge play if all of a sudden, like, I mean, imagine this, Chris change of quarters, third and two. Mm-hmm. You're in a situation where you're probably gonna need points to win this game, and we're tired of seeing threes instead of seven. You know what? If we don't get this, we're going for it, and that's what they did, they came out intent on doing that. They throw an incomplete pass on third down, which makes me think they're going for it on fourth down no matter what. As long as they don't lose five yards or four yards or whatever, third down becomes fourth down with the offense staying on the field. It was not that easy, and I don't know what happened. And, like, there wasn't much of a conversation. It even seemed like after the incomplete pass, all right, we're going to go for it. And it took up almost an entire play clock, too. And, man, imagine, just imagine if this game goes sideways after that and they lose this game because a fourth and two became a fourth and seven. They had to kick a field goal, and then Iowa State goes down and marches and scores a touchdown totally different outcome there. I'm not saying that's why West Virginia won, but that's that is something that stands up. But again, then again, is the team that he did not did not have great luck in moments before and you know gets that non call there, gets the fumble. And sometimes you create your own luck or sometimes you're due from the football gods and, and maybe they were I don't know, maybe they were um paying some bills today. Yeah, but hey uh biggest win of the Neil Brown era? Easy. I mean okay. I would say also too that like Getting that touchdown after that pick six was just a huge sequence, I mean just mm-hmm. huge. Like and because man, all of a sudden you're groaning about your quarterback, and all of a sudden Iowa State looks like Iowa State again. They get their defense to get you one of those scores, like one of those Iowa State things where like how is this team winning? And it just didn't work out, and for Iowa State because West Virginia wasn't going to have it. That seemed like a huge moment for me, and I, I, there's there's to me there's not even like a candidate. Like this isn't beating this isn't beating TCU to end the 19 season. This is like. Beating a pretty good team, I think. Certainly a team that would give West Virginia trouble on many days. But, I mean, home, back-to-back wins now. And, again, I think validation is one thing, too. But I I think a lot of people were guilty of looking at the win last week and saying it's a bad TCU team. That doesn't really matter. You can still say that and be accurate. But, again, that wasn't TCU out there.
1: I I was one of those people. I don't want to say – well, I thought TCU was a very one-sided team. I thought they were pretty darn good. Offense, a a absolutely terrible defense. So I wondered, you know, you come out of the bye, you got some tweaks on offense, you find some success, but you're finding success against a very, very bad TCU defense, or at least very, very bad TCU run defense. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure what to make of it. Uh, As you noted, West Virginia was solid today, decent today running the ball. But again, when you're decent against what a top 10 top 20 run defense in the entire country, that's really darn good. And then you go out and you do the the passing that you're able to do. Uh, I mean, you have to take it a little more seriously now, what West Virginia has done offensively since the bye.
0: Well, where's our ceiling now, Chris? Because we thought last week's game was probably pretty close to their ceiling. This is a better defense by far, better opponent by far, but also a better performance by the offense that – is visibly changing and improving in front of our eyes. They get another pretty good defense coming up here next week at home. Kansas State's always kind of salty. Let's just focus on those two here because, man, if, they, if, if they're if they at 500 after two more games, if they're above 500 after two more games, then the end of the season becomes very interesting because you get Texas at home for maybe the last time. Who knows? Texas is kind of – scuffling right now and then Kansas which a lot of us have counted as a win but who knows maybe maybe not they're probably going to win a game sooner or later hope it's not you if you're West Virginia right but if that's the situation you just deal with it but if they're getting better before our eyes even as the opposition improves I don't necessarily think that they're out of it as far as getting the
1: six wins right now where I think a lot of people would have disagreed with me
0: vehemently just three weeks ago
1: yeah I think you look at that so you got to go two and two with home Oklahoma State uh, obviously Cowboys really darn good but It is at home. Cowboys do have they have their strengths. They have their weaknesses like most teams. But um, Kansas State looking better. I mean, they beat the crap out of TCU today Um, and that's on the road, which won't be easy. Texas at home. I don't even know what to think of Longhorns. I mean, I, I think they're good, but they are also four and four on the year and have what, three straight weeks where they've blown double digit leads in the second half. Sustain. Three straight weeks. Yep. Um, And then you got, yeah, like you mentioned, Kansas uh, on the road. And that's, you know, we talk a lot about those Kansas games. Not a lot about those Kansas games, but sometimes when you go to play at Kansas and it's going to be noon, like, you know, two days after Thanksgiving. And it's, it's at what's going to be 11 a.m. that time. There's going to be... Uh, seven thousand fans in the stands mm-hmm. and maybe you're five and six you know maybe you're four and seven and if you're four and seven does it matter i mean you would think so but it might not have the thing if you're five and six you're really fighting for that ball game but that's that's a tough thing to do when we saw him give uh, oklahoma a run, or oklahoma a run when oklahoma went there so you can't just chalk it up as immediate win but yeah you're right like Two out of the next four, See, seems very possible.
0: Especially if they're getting better and especially if their offense is improving. Close of this, Chris. We have not spoken since uh, Tuesday when Neil Brown had a bizarre moment in the press conference. And maybe the media didn't come out and handled it perfectly. I'm not going to say that uh, we were clean on this one. Um, but obviously last game there was a lot of discussion, including our postgame podcast. You're welcome about who was calling the plays, and and because it was very clear Neil Brown was not involved in that offensive execution or operation, whatever you want to call it, at TCU. Certainly not to the degree that he had been before. It's just visibly different. You noted it. I noted it. People picked up on it as well. Um, Kind of sort of asked about it during the news conference on Tuesday, and and it was kind of a, I don't want to say bumbling answer, but let's just call it it was like a bumbling answer. I don't know if he wasn't comfortable, prepared to talk about it, but – Maybe the questions weren't the best. I, for example, did not come out and say, is Kirk Shiraka calling plays? Because Kirk Shiraka cannot call the plays. He's an analyst. He's not allowed to. But I did not evoke his name, and I I simply gave Brown a chance to say what was different, who was involved during the week and during the game that had not been before. And he spelled out some of the differences, but I thought ultimately said that it was kind of the same. It was still him calling the plays. Maybe I misread that. That's not true. (laughs) <laughs> it's not true. And, and many people came out to, to me and told me that and just said, like what you saw is what you saw. And there are theories abound about why Brown didn't come out and say it. Who cares? But um it is different. Certainly this is going through Jared Parker right now. And how different is what we're seeing these past two weeks?
1: Am I supposed to answer that? Is it obvious? <laughs> or like is it, it just like Yeah. I there's something different. There's definitely something different. There's definitely something that seems more comfortable. and And up until these couple of wasted timeouts, I also felt like there was something more streamlined about the process. Maybe, you know, fewer, again, an issue that we've wondered aloud was are there too many cooks in the kitchen? And, and part of the reason we wondered that aloud was because of these convoluted answers we keep getting from Neil Brown about the play calling, oh, yeah, this person's involved and this person's involved, and this person's on the headset. And Uh, We're we all we're all in this together. If you're all in this together, then that's a lot of voices, and it's going to get scrambled, and that might explain the confusion and the timeouts and all that other stuff. So, um, I think it's been streamlined a little bit, despite the couple of issues today. Um, And and there's definitely changes. And and again, uh, who knows why? Who knows why it can't just be said? I don't know the answer to that. No, and again, there's,
0: again, a lot of theories. For example, if Neil Brown backs off play calling for the first time in his career and they win a game, that's a big deal. It just is because they had a three-game losing streak, and all of a sudden one change in process leads to one change in outcome. Is it as simple as that? No, but it's hard for people not to draw that conclusion. But again, that's TCU. It's not a good defense. it's, It's a good matchup for West Virginia there. If they come out, and then, again, if you look at their schedule, they're not good matchups for Iowa State and Oklahoma State. They won. I get that. That's fine. But, like, that's still not a great matchup for them as the past couple of years have indicated. And as Iowa State's indicated to a lot of opponents. And if Brown pulls the veil off of everything and says, here's what we're doing, and all of a sudden everybody gives Jared Parker and Kirk Shiraka a bunch of credit because they beat TCU, and then they go belly up today and or against Oklahoma State, well, then all of a sudden that didn't work, Brown's a reactionary bozo who – you know, forsake his lineage as a coach to make some haphazard change. And what did that get him? Nothing. Well, he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't really said that he made a change whatever. But all that matters is that they've won the past two games in the big picture and things are better and are getting better too. But um, I think that may be one reason there too is that he was just being, you know, confidential because perhaps Iowa State would say, let's go watch a Penn State's offense in the past few years. Let's go study some Minnesota. Let's go study from you know, the the old Mac days, things like that. Um, who knows? Maybe he didn't want to give that off, but it doesn't matter. Like, they're just better right now, and if things have changed, they change. But you can watch Brown, and he's, he's 40, 50 yards away from the play calling that's going on, and he's got his headset on, so I'm sure it still works, but it's not involving him the way it did before. Again, observation is fact, I don't know, but it seems to me that he's in charge of the quarterback swapping. Like, whenever he swaps quarterbacks, he's sending in the play. Do you think it's as simple as that, that, you know, Normal run of play, let Parker do it, let the funnel go through him, and he's the last stop before it goes out to the field. But, hey, we're going to swap quarterbacks
1: on the head coach. I got this. That seems like what we saw, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, don't get me started on the quarterback swapping thing, but, yeah, it does seem that way. How much Garrett Green do we see the rest of the way?
0: None. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe
1: uh, maybe that's a little strong, but I think – Again, oh, hey, Chris, what are you doing? Like, don't get me wrong. For a long time, I was right there saying that green should, you should be switching to green for multiple reasons. One, because I felt like he opened things up on the offense for everybody else. Two, he kind of negated a lot of the issues you were having the on the offensive line. Three, because it seemed like the season was, I don't want to say lost, but trending in that direction. You might as well find out what you have for the future. Mm-hmm. Those are my reasons. All of that has changed. I think one yep. offensive yep. line is good now out of nowhere uh, with the same people somehow. Uh two, Jared Dagie is different than he was 2 weeks ago. Still good. I I didn't think he was bad again. Uh, three, 4 and 4. Now you're competing for 7 and 5, 8 and 4. You know, the climate keep talking about you want to be better than you were last year. You're 6 and 4 last year. Can you can you equal that or top it? Um the whole situation has changed, and I think maybe there's still a package for Green, because there are things he does, obviously, that are very, very, very good, but I think they took a step backward this week with this whole situation because of this mid-series swaps. That That's a no-go. That's got to stop, I think, because that that's what's caused a lot of the issues with the miscommunication. and. Last week, I mean, we only saw Green, what, one series, right? But it was a full series. Mm -hmm. It was one full series. He did well, and that was it. Maybe you think he should have two full series. That's fine. Make it two full series and make it just a series. Don't swap him in for a random play and then swap him out and then swap him back in and swap him out. And also, you may not want to stick it so that it's definitively the third series of the game. Because I think that puts you in a tough spot. We talked about it for the TCU game even. And it, and it happened again in this one where the offense was moving. Jared Daigie was in a rhythm. And then you take him out. And, and and the reason he came out was not because he was bad, not because they needed a spark. It was just, hey, it's the third drive. And I don't think that's a good enough reason to make a swap of it's the third drive. No, no, no. You make a swap when you need a spark, when you want to do something special. and. Hey, it's the third drive. is is not the reason. I don't think. Coach has got to coach, Chris. That's that's like undefeated.
0: Coach has got to coach. So, uh, no, if, and they have worked yeah. on it a bunch, and and it hasn't. Listen, if they, if they're working on it a bunch in practice, and we're seeing the offense get better because of or in spite of that, it doesn't matter. Like it's happening in practice, and the offense is still getting better. I'm not sure they'll digit. I think there's spots where, but you're right. In the past couple of games, that third series has been awkward. Just like in the in the flow of the game and momentum and everything, that hasn't been the best spot. One time they got him a field goal, this time it was a three and out. And then I thought it was strange they put him in after that Dagey interception. Like it didn't seem like it shattered Dagey's confidence because he came in and delivered. Um, but man, <laughs> if that goes bad or what if Dagey goes really well right there, or if uh, if Green goes really well right there and leads a touchdown drive and then does he get another possession after that, after a critical error by Dagey? I don't know. It just seemed like it involved a lot of risk, but I don't know. Just things aren't broken right now. It's that's not. It's not their strength. It's not a, a strong suit for them. But it's not killing them either.
1: Well, if coaches got to coach, Mike know it all. Podcasters got to know it all. So I yeah. <laughs> also undefeated. <laughs> also undefeated. I have never lost a a college football game in my life or a podcast. Yep. Well, hey, uh, thanks to you, by the way, for for carrying all the weight around here this week. Um, I hope you don't have a hernia. <laughs> i do not i i'll say one it was it was good to talk with michael swain from Iowa iowa state site i thought he did a good job he's a young guy that that just got started on the beat a couple years ago so it was cool to have him on talk a little bit about that um a, a newfound appreciation for the fresh set i think you know i i didn't not appreciate it i've called it the ultimate preview of the game mm-hmm. it takes a lot of work i mean i you really have to sit down and have to do a lot of research for that and i one, I think it's good because it really gets you prepared for that game. Uh, there were a couple things I didn't know even after preparing for all the other stuff uh, I wrote about and watching all the other interviews. Um, so it was good. And, but, again, and now I see why that took up a lot of time.
0: It takes up a lot of time. Well – I had the week off, so I'm going to be great for the next two weeks, Chris. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, I got plenty up my sleeve. Three things in the morning, snap counts, which would be very interesting. Offensive line is one to watch, but I don't think the fifth player or sixth player ever took the field with one exception. Parker Moore was wearing 92 today. Uh, he was basically an extra offensive lineman as a tight end on two plays. On the field for two snaps, scored two touchdowns. Hey, give Parker Moore more playing time, right? Mm-hmm. And that was really it. So we'll see how they split things up. Uh, again, Eddie V, Jordan Jefferson, some good snaps. I don't think they played a ton behind uh, the, the regulars at linebacker or corner. So, you know, they're, they're thin. I was looking at this. They've had 88 players in uniform today. They had – no, they had 86 in uniform. They had 88 last time. It may be 84, 86. They had two more players in uniform for their last home game. You can have unlimited home games. So they were two above where they were today. But remember, they were missing Torry Simmons, Mike O'Loughlin – and Nick Troy Fortune, as well as all the players who transferred recently, too. So they're they're getting thinner and thinner as the season goes along. We'll see if or when Fortune and O'Loughlin come back. I did not see Simmons or Fortune out there today. I saw O'Loughlin, um, but either way, they weren't playing. They weren't in uniform. So they survived. Quarterback play was okay today. Hutchinson didn't really beat them. Tight end play. Banks had a really good day, and they found ways around it. And they were, you know, Simmons isn't a, a key to the defense, but he's one of their guys that try to play in the defensive line. And they were able to extend a little bit. So they're they're finding ways, which is good, especially late in the season.
1: Uh, I saw Nick troy Fortune on social media. On social media. Oh. Not, not a bad thing. He's cheering on his teammates. But, yeah, saw so him on, on on the tweeter and was like, oh, wait, is he not standing on the sideline? Or is he not in uniform and just has his phone with him? I don't know. Outstanding. Um, and for the morning, for you, plays to change the game? Yeah, we'll probably have plays to change the game. I just put up, as we were talking, um, the uh, recruit reaction from where there are a handful of visitors in town. You know, coaches, sometimes sometimes when the season's not going right, coaches kind of pare down the visits. Uh, because, well, to be quite frank, you know, if, you, if you're if you not a good football team, you don't want recruits to see a half-empty stadium and see a team get their butt kicked. Mm. So, Visitor lists sometimes get pared down. Not in the case for West Virginia. Uh, coaching staff still had some confidence, apparently. Still invited up some top targets from the 2023 class, a couple of commitments from 2022. And everybody came out raving about the trip, about the performance, love the fans. So um, good responses there. And that's up right now. And, yeah, tomorrow, report card, which, by the way, we will be doing, I think, a couple versions of it. I don't yeah. know if you saw this while you are out of town. Uh, but to, yeah. it, it, we – I made note of this on the podcast like a month ago. We put the report card out on Monday, and I found out from a friend who works for PFF that they do a rescout, uh, like a second scout, like a, a different scout scouts the film, and they do a rescout, and it can change the grade sometimes. Usually, if everyone's doing their job correctly, the changes should be minimal. So it's not something I really paid that much attention to, but I went back to look at something. And there were some drastic changes this past week, some very drastic changes to to the top performers and bottom performers from the TCU game. So I think we're going to be doing something, or I'm going to be doing something about a report card for Sunday and then an adjusted report card on Tuesday because that's usually when you get the adjusted grades. I don't know if we want to wait all the way till Tuesday to just put one up. i will make a decision on that, and I think we can all be adults about it and know that, hey, that Sunday one might just be a first draft. Don't blame me. Blame him. <laughs> also, yeah, the, it, was, it was that a note for the coaches who already hate the PFF grades? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, funny
0: scores around the Big 12 today, too. It seems like things are falling into place. Not a whole lot of surprises. And, uh, except when West Virginia does defeat Iowa State 38-31, two-game winning streak, 500 overall, 2-3 and three in the Big 12. And, again, very interesting Four-game stretch to end. We'll have it all covered tomorrow and then in the weeks to come. Until then, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.